Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. I don't know anybody, contractor or not, who has built a thriving, successful, profitable real estate business and they do all the work themselves. It just doesn't exist. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you uh, joining me for another replay of my live Q&As that I do every Wednesday on all the social medias. Any platform you're on, I'm pretty much there. So you can check me out on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. You can go to either Just Start Real Estate if you're on Facebook or if you're on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the other places, you can go to Mike S. Simmons, that's Mike S. Simmons, and you can check out the Q&A there and ask questions, participate, or, and or, I should say, you can come here and listen to the replay. And we had a really good one uh, this week. It was fun to do. Um, we talked about property management companies a little bit. Uh, we also talked about marketing uh, companies and who, what, who should they go to? Who should they look for? Like, or the question also was, should I be handwriting and hand postage and hand licking envelopes and sending them out like that? And I had a very, very strong answer for that. Um, uh, and also a uh, contractor wrote in and wanted to know if uh, he should be going to auctions, finding out who owns the house, going directly to the seller and getting the deal direct from the seller as opposed to buying them at auctions. And we also talked uh, a little bit about the metrics involved with picking a, a market, like deciding where you want to run and operate your real estate investing business. So a lot of good questions and more, and uh, it's all in this episode. So get ready to take notes and be thoroughly entertained and thoroughly educated and uh, just have a ripping, roaring good time. All right, guys, here we go with my latest Q&A. All right, guys, thanks for joining me here. I appreciate it. It's good uh, for all of you that are joining me. Thank you for being here. We are here every uh, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, and I'm here to answer your questions. If you've never been here before, if you don't know who I am and you just stumbled upon this because we just recently started going live, not only on Facebook, which is where for the last year we've been doing it exclusively, uh, but now we are on a lot of other channels. We're on YouTube. Uh, we are on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. We're on my personal use, uh, Facebook page. So we're kind of all over the place now. And so if you're checking this out and you've never seen it before and you're not sure who I am, my name is Mike Simmons. I'm a real estate investor in Michigan. I started real estate investing back in 2008. And uh, if you were alive back then and old enough to remember, it was crazy for real estate. Prices were dropping fast. It was like uh, the sky was falling and I didn't know what was going on. Really, I was just getting started. I wasn't really sure. But since then, uh, we've gone through different market cycles and I've learned a ton and I was able to take a business that I started as a side hustle while I was working full time in a corporate position 
and convert that or grow that into a seven-figure business over the last six and seven years. We've been consistently doing over seven figures and profits. So I bring that, that knowledge here every Wednesday to try to help you with your business. And so if you log on and you want to know how to grow your real estate business, if you have specific questions and maybe you, you're not part of a mastermind or you don't have you know the ability to, to buy into a course or you just don't know where to go for answers, I'm here for you. It's totally free and it's just here to benefit you. So log on on Wednesdays and ask your questions live. If you do that, I'll answer them. And if you have a follow-up question, I can answer those too. If you can't be here live, you can always send me uh, your questions at mike at juststartrealestate.com. That's my email. Or you can go on to any social media platform where I am and you can DM me or send me a message and send me your questions. We get those throughout the week and I bring those here to answer them for all of you. I used to answer them individually, but what happened was I would get a lot of the same questions. Over and over again, people would ask the similar questions. And so I found myself being real repetitive in my in my DMs and my emails and stuff. <clears throat> so I bring, I bring them here now so I can answer them once and for all for everybody. I can give everyone the answer and we can move on. And we still sometimes get repetitive questions, and but that's okay because I think sometimes you need to hear things more than once for them to sink in. And so we do that. Also, if you if you do know who I am and you are a regular listener of this Q&A or my podcast, which is called Just Start Real Estate also, uh, if you know of me through any of those things and you're ready to really take your business to the next level, you're ready to really level up and get serious about creating a business that not only gives you financial freedom, but gives you freedom of time, allows you to spend time with your friends and family, but still make a living where you can quit your job and have that financial freedom. If you want that kind of freedom in your life, I can help you with that too. If you go to sevenfigureinvestor.com, I'll put it up here on the screen for you. That's seven, the word seven, sevenfigureinvestor.com. Go there. I have a program designed specifically for you to help you get where you want to go. You just have to go and sign up and, and participate. And the next round of that program starts in May. So you have to wait a few, a few weeks, but we're starting again in May. So go and check it out. Sign up. Reserve your seat. There are limited seats, okay? So make sure you get yours now before it's too late and too much of the year is gone for you to really do what you want to do. All right, guys, let's dive into today's question. <clears throat> the first question I, I got, I got this uh, through through email, I believe. It's, as an investor, what, what qualities do you look for in a property management company? <clears throat> it's a great question, a very important question. You should not just use whatever property management company somebody just happens to tell you about. Um, getting a referral is great, okay? So that's number one. So a referral is good, but you don't just go with the first one that you find. You should interview property management companies just like you would interview somebody to work for you. You can't just take the first person who comes in the door. You should not work with just the first management company that comes across your plate. Uh, what I would suggest is um, you want somebody who has a lot of properties that they're managing. In other words, if they say, hey, we're brand new, we've only got a half a dozen properties that we manage, um, and they don't have, by the way, they should have some properties of their own that would be great if whoever runs the management company started off as an investor, that's always a good sign. But if they say, hey, we've got a half a dozen properties and they're all somebody else's and we're growing, we'd love to, to, to take on your properties. It sounds like a good deal. And I'll be fair, it could potentially work. 
but it's a red flag because they just don't have enough volume that I would feel comfortable that they have the systems and the processes and the people in place and the contractor um, relationships. They just don't have enough ironed out, most likely, to do a really great job of working with you. Um, and I like to give small companies a chance, and I, I understand all that, but this isn't about giving someone a chance. It's about who's going to manage your rentals, which cost a lot of money, presumably, and mean a lot to you and your your financial goals and retirement and, and cash flow and all this stuff. So you can't just do a nice thing because you feel bad or you just want to help somebody out. This isn't the time. You can do charity. You can help people out. You can donate. You can donate your time. You can work at a soup kitchen. This is not that. This is business. And you have to make sure that your property and your your business is being taken care of really, really well. And so I would say, number one, I would prefer that they have at least 20 to 30 properties, at least 20 to 30 under management. I would really feel a lot better if they had more than 50 under management. I would also feel really, really happy if they had, um, uh, if some of the properties were that belong to the people running the management company or the person who started the management company. Like if I heard, hey, we've got 50 properties under management, 20 of them belong to our owner. Um, and he started this because he was doing such a great job managing his own properties. He wanted to expand and kind of grow this part of his business. That's great because they know what it takes to run uh, a proper management company and they understand what rentals need. So that's a couple of things that I would be interested in. Um, other things that I would be interested in is what kind of contracts or obligations. I've heard of a company recently, a, a friend of mine was looking for a property management company in my area, and they said uh, one company that they were looking at wanted them to sign a two-year commitment. Like they had to work with them for two years, which is to me a humongous red flag, just a huge red flag, because their their fees were not below industry standard. They were normal fee. Like they weren't charging less. The only time I could see a two-year commitment that you might even think about it, and I still wouldn't do it, but where you might think about it is if their pricing structure was really, really low. And then the only way that they can do that and maybe not go out of business is to get a long-term commitment. Um, I see why a company, a management company might want to do that, but I don't think I would do that as the investor, as you, right? So Two-year commitment, one-year commitment, that's that's garbage. If they made you commit for like three months, I could see that only because when they bring you on, there's a certain amount of, uh, a certain amount of onboarding costs that they're going to incur. If they're marketing your property because it's vacant and they have to get it rented, that takes money and time and resources. So in a way, I could get it that they don't want you to leave them. You know, they don't want to find somebody and then have you bolt right away because they're kind of in a negative probably. So like maybe a two or three month commitment is fine. But a long term commitment, we don't want that. Um, I know some companies charge a percentage of um, of the total money that's that comes in from the rent. That's fine. That's the way it's traditionally done. Some companies will charge a flat fee. When I had rentals, and I just sold mine all last year, but when I had rentals, uh, the company that I was working with charged a flat fee, which I kind of liked because if my rents got above like the median rent price in my area, then I was sort of like making out. I was doing better uh, because they were only charging me a set amount. So, it, so I'll give you real numbers. In my market, 
um, my my rental company or my management company was charging me $90 a month. So normally, traditionally, a rental management company will charge 10% of your rent, okay? And so in this case, if my rents were $900, if that's what I was charging as a rent, then my rental company was right about the average price that you would normally get charged for a $900 rent house. But if I had a rental where I was charging $1,200, which I did, I was kind of doing really, really well because they were still only charging me $90. Now, if I had a rental where I was charging $600, then 90 was a little bit high. So it was kind of like you have to look at your portfolio and see, are my rents on average, 900 or more. If so, it makes sense. If not, it doesn't make sense. So having that fixed cost structure uh, could be really, really good. The one thing, though, I would have to say is when you do start working with a management company, you have to watch really, really, really closely that they're doing a great job with repairs. Because one of a couple of things tends to happen. Either they don't get on the repairs in a timely manner, which sort of makes you a slumlord. If they're not getting work done and, and it's your house, then you sort of look bad. Or maybe they do get on it right away, but they're not great at getting you really good cost. They're not working with contractors that are used to doing rental work and working for investors. They're hiring like retail contractors that normally only go into like a homeowner's house and they only have this relationship with them for this one job. And so their prices end up being really, really high. You don't want that kind of a contractor working on your rentals. You need someone who can get in there, get the work done and get out and, and give you a really, really great price because they're not spending lots and lots of time there and they're working on volume more than they're working on anything else. And that's the other reason why you want your rental company to have more rentals in their portfolio that they're managing because the more rentals they have, it's most likely they're going to have a better relationship with contractors because like I said, a contractor will charge less and they'll do work a lot cheaper if they're getting a lot of work coming in and they know they're guaranteed to get a ton of work. But if a contractor doesn't know when you're going to ever call them again to, to do something, they're not going to give you those rates. They can't. They can't live like that. So it's either you give them high volume or you have to pay a high price. That's, that's typically how it works. And in this real estate market, you know, and I've gone through a, a couple of different phases with, with contractors and, and their workloads, contractors are as busy as they've ever been in the last 14 years right now. So... It's difficult to get contractors to give you good preferred pricing because they don't have to. They have more work than they know what to do with. They're turning away work. And so you have to offer them incredible volume and a lot of assurances that that volume is going to stay there. And so having a rental company with more rentals under their belt or that they're managing, that's going to give you a lot better chance of getting that situation. Okay, uh, next question. Okay, next question is, which mail marketing platforms are the most effective or would it be more cost effective to print out and send the letters myself? Oh, dear God, do not print these letters out and send them yourself. The only way I've ever seen that done where maybe it makes sense is when you're starting out and you're doing a really, really niche kind of a list, like a real specific list that's hyper-focused and there's only, you know, 
40 or 50 letters that are going to go out. Um, that's when it could make sense. But at that point, my argument to you would be, what are you doing sending out 40? Like 40 letters is next to nothing. That's not going to probably move the needle unless your list is so awesome and incredible that you know 40 letters will get you a deal or two or whatever, right? In general, 99.9% of the time, I would not suggest that you handwrite your own letters and then lick a stamp and mail them out yourself. And listen, I know there's probably people out there who are saying, I've done it. It works. It's great. That's fine. I I know that people have done it and I know it can work, but I'm always going to lead you down the path of how do you build your business so that you're not doing activities that you could literally pay someone $5 an hour to do and licking stamps and putting, you know, envelope, uh, letters in envelopes like don't do it. And honestly, don't even you could pay your kids to do it, but I want to get you to the point where if you're sending out mail that you're sending out 1000 1500 2000 a week and it becomes completely impossible to manage some crazy team of people licking stamps and putting letters in envelopes plus i don't even really recommend envelopes and letters i recommend postcards and there's a lot of reasons for that and we can get deep into that part of it um, but just don't don't do it yourself now the other part of the question is which platforms do i suggest for that they're not platforms they're companies but um, I've used a few different, and I know there's a million people out there that will mail your stuff for you. Um, I use a company called Evergreen Printing. Uh, I know the owner of it. I've used them for years. I've sent out millions of letter or uh, postcards through them. They've printed and mailed millions of things for me, and I trust them. I know that the owner of the company has a lot of integrity, and They've never failed me. So I like Evergreen Printing. So if you go to evergreenprinting.com, you can check them out. Um, The guy who owns the company's name is Joe. Uh, You can ask for him by name and tell him I sent you. It doesn't get me anything. I I don't get any sort of, I don't get paid for that. I'm just, I think it's just nice to know that, let people know that you're referring them and and you're kind of helping them whenever you can. And that's all I'm doing uh, because they're really, really good. And I believe in them. And I believe sending people to them is uh, they're going to, their, you know, their work is going to be done well and and they'll be in good hands. So uh, don't do it yourself. And Evergreen Printing is great, but there are, other companies out there that will print and send your mail. It's not uh, a rare thing. It's super, super common. It's easy to find somebody that'll do it. I've used other people. I didn't like other people as much. I think Evergreen's great. So give them a try if you haven't ever used them. Okay, let's jump into the next question. Uh, Next question is, I am looking to buy a home to flip in Michigan. That's where I'm at, Michigan. So Uh, I'm a contractor and I can do a lot of the work myself. Can I approach a homeowner of a house up for auction, gain their trust, and work out a deal with them directly? Yeah, so you you asked me a question and I'm going to answer it. It's an easy answer. The question you didn't ask me is sort of in the question itself, and I don't think this is what you want me to answer, but I'm going to give you a two-for-one here. So the answer to your actual question is, can you approach a homeowner, gain their trust, and work out a deal with them directly? It really depends. If it's gone to auction, that could mean that it's it's already out of their hands and most likely is if they've gone to auction. Um, somebody else probably owns that. And they probably, in Michigan, you do have a six-month redemption period where, yes, you can go in because here's what will happen. Somebody will buy it at auction. 
the owner has a six-month redemption period. And what you can do is go to the owner of the home and you can negotiate to buy their redemption period or buy the rights to their redemption period and then sort of snatch the deal out from underneath the investor who bought it at auction. People do it. Oh, it's maybe it's a little unethical. Like there's some gray area there in terms of whether or not you're doing the right thing. You can do it and the seller can give you this right, but you're you're kind of making a living sort of trying to undermine another investor. I don't love it personally. It can be done. Um, I say go to auction and just win the properties there, but you can go directly to them and work that out. The question you should have been asking or the thing that I would want to caution you about is you said that you're a contractor and can do a lot of the work yourself. Now, if you plan on doing no more than two houses this year and the money that it costs for you to buy the house is your own or maybe somebody who's not going to charge you every month that you're holding it, then maybe then doing the work yourself makes sense. If you're trying to build a business where you're doing 10, 15, 20, or more houses a year, and you're going to do the work yourself, I believe you're, gonna, you're going to probably not be successful, okay? And that's a real nice way of saying you're going to fail. Because the worst thing that you can do as a contractor is get sucked into doing the work yourself. It's tempting. You know how to do it. You know what the quality needs to be. Like You're going to save money on the labor for sure because you're doing a lot of it. But a lot of times what you save on labor, you're going to pay out with the extra time that it takes you to do it. And you might say, no, 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 I'll do it fast. I can really do it fast. Okay, maybe, maybe if you could do it fast. But I still say your time as the, as the investor, the owner of the company is much better spent raising money and finding deals. And, and working on the relationships of private lenders where you can start getting money a lot cheaper with much better terms and finding great deals. I would rather you go out and find three more like smoking deals than be in a house swinging a hammer, you know, putting mud and sanding a, a wall. Like, listen, I'm not above it. No one's above that work, but there's a better use of your time as the owner. You need to go out and find the next five you're gonna do and find an investor who's gonna lend you money at 6% and with no payments, and then you just pay them at the end of the thing, right? Like you need to work on those parts of your business. That's how you grow a business and become successful. I don't know anybody, contractor or not, who has built a thriving, successful, profitable real estate business and they do all the work themselves. It just doesn't exist. So don't try to be the first person to ever accomplish this. It doesn't exist because at some point, contractors who go down that road, they realize they would be much better off finding deals and creating relationships with investors that will loan them money very, very cheaply and paying someone to do the work and then managing that work. That's a much better use of your time. But you can go directly to the homeowner, gain their trust, steal the deal from the other investor. It can be done. Okay, next question. All right, <clears throat> next question. What specific objective metrics, <laughs> I like that, objective metrics I should be looking at when deciding whether an area is good or not? Um, there's a couple of things, and it really depends on when you say good, I don't know if you're a house flipper, if you're a landlord, if you are going to wholesale, 
But in general, what makes and I'll split this up between like house flippers and landlords because it's it's slightly different. For a house flipper, you want to look at the population of the area. I guess that's for a landlord too. You want the the population. To me, I think the number is right around uh, two hundred fifty thousand. You want there to be in in your market. You should want there to be two hundred fifty thousand households or more. When you get below 250 or below 200 and start getting less than that, it becomes a little more challenging to not only find deals, but the buyer pool is a lot smaller. And so everything becomes a little bit more scarce. It's like saying, do you hunt where there's 10 deer or do you want to hunt where there's a thousand deer? Now, where there's a thousand deer, there's going to be more hunters, right? I get it. That's competition. That's what you're going to find if you go into market. So you need to figure out when you're looking at markets, how do you kind of straddle the line between small enough that it's not overly competitive, but still big enough where there's plenty of deals to be had and plenty of buyers and the buyer market is strong and you're in a very strong, maybe appreciating or at least uh, in, a, in an area where house prices are holding their value. That's where you want to be. In my opinion, when I look at markets and if I were going to go into a new market right now, what I would be looking for is a tertiary market, a secondary market. I would not go into um, San Diego, California. I would go into markets uh, you know, an hour, hour and a half, two hours outside of that, where the competition is so much less, but it's still kind of close enough to the big market where people can get there easily and people still want to live. There's a lot of people now because of COVID and working remotely, they know they don't have to live in the city anymore, right? In whatever city you're living in or whatever state, they don't have to live in the city anymore because they're working remotely. They're wo- working at home anyway. And so there's a there's this big move to kind of get out to the suburbs or get out to the country because people can do that now. And, they're, and they don't want to be like in close proximity and all these things that cropped up because of COVID. So in these tertiary markets, in these secondary markets now, the, the buyer's market and, and the market for houses is, is really, really strong. And the competition hasn't caught up. Like investors aren't moving out at the same pace in, in, my, in my opinion and what I've seen. So if I were you, I would look for a secondary market for sure. Um, but you want there to be a lot of buyer activity if you're flipping houses. You can't buy houses in a market where buyers aren't. So you want to be where they are. So you're going to go on um, tools like ListSource to try to look for the number of houses that are being sold in the market that you're in. Uh, if you're a landlord, you really want to look for the rates. What are the rates doing? If, if rates for, um, um, you know, like landlord rates or, or um, rental rates, there's what I'm looking for. If the rent rates are staying steady or going up, you know there's a lot of demand because supply and demand will dictate rent rates. If the if the rent rates are going down or they're lower than they were a year ago, you know either the supply is too high or nobody wants to rent there. And that's not good if you're a landlord. So you want to look at the rent rates and make sure that they're holding steady over time, not holding steady since last month. That doesn't mean anything. We're not looking at data points within a couple of weeks of each other. We're looking at years. So you want to go back two or three years. What were the rent rates? Look at what they are now. Are they the same or higher? Great. We have a real strong rental market. And also when it comes to rents, you need to look at not only the rent rates, but what are the costs of homes? <clears throat> because if you're buying a house in the in, in the most 
for the most part, right? There's exceptions and I'll explain it. But for the most part, when you're looking at rentals, you should be able to uh, you should be able to achieve the one percent rule. And if you don't know what the one percent rule is, the one percent rule says that whatever you pay for a house to buy it, plus adding in whatever it costs to renovate it, you should be charging at least one percent of that amount as a rent in order for it to meet the 1% rule. And so, for example, you buy a house for $80,000, you put 20% into it or $20,000 into it, you should be renting that house for $1,000 and that will achieve the 1% rule. And that's, to me, that's a that's a minimum. That's the, the minimum you wanna be charging is 1% of the total all-in cost. In some parts of the country, you can fairly easily achieve the 2% rule, which says the same thing as a 1%, it's just 2%. So for that same scenario, bought it for 80, put 20,000 into it, we rent it for $2,000. That's a 2% rule and that's great. 2% is awesome if you can get it. So um, that's what I would look for if I was a landlord, that's what would be important to me. Um, but again, when it comes to flipping and, and, and renovating houses and, and leasing them out or renting them out, you have to look at the activity and the relative health of whatever it is you're trying to do. If you're a house flipper, what are the what's the buyer? What are the buyers like? Like what's happening with the buyer's market? Are houses on the market for 90 days, 120 days, 180 days? That's not great. That's not a great market. It's gonna be difficult to flip houses and really make a ton of money because people aren't buying and their houses are sitting around stagnant. Are houses on the market for an average of three days, five days? That's awesome, right? Now you know you buy something, renovate it, stick it up there. Bam, it's going to go. That's what you want. Okay. So those are some of the things you want to look for as a, as a landlord and as a house flipper. Okay, guys, that's all the questions I have for today. We're right about the 30 minute mark. That's great. I hope you enjoy this. If you're watching it on replay, definitely tune in next week uh, on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, or you can send me questions if you want and we can handle it that way and I'll get them on here and I'll answer them for you. Again, if you want me to help you in your business, and I don't mean help you just on these Q&As, but you really want me to dig in and help you build your business and show you what it takes to build a business that can produce seven-figure profits every single year, just like I did. Go to sevenfigureinvestor.com. That's seven figure, the word seven, sevenfigureinvestor.com. Go and check it out. I want you in that program. I want to see you in there. I want to help you guys until next week. Go out there and make it happen and we'll see you next week. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay, until next time.